0: Hello, world, and welcome to Her Royal Science. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Today, we will be chatting with Simone Webb, a PhD researcher currently studying bioinformatics and immunology at Newcastle University. She's one of the co founders of the upcoming Black and Data Week, which is due to take place between the 16th and the 21st of November. I hope to speak with her today about her journey in STEM as a Black woman with a chronic invincible illness, as well as the necessity to create a supportive community. I did also want to talk about something that you touched upon, living with rheumatoid arthritis. You've been quite candid about it. And I kind of wanted to know in a little bit more detail about what it actually is. For people that are not as familiar with it, could you kind of give a little bit more background as to what rheumatoid arthritis is? For some reason, that's a tongue twister for me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable. Um so so rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune condition. So mm-hmm. that means that your immune system is attacking your body, mm-hmm. some part of your body. So that's autoimmune, like auto meaning yourself, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's a condition affecting your joints. So my immune system is attacking my joints, mistakenly thinking it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's often um, mixed into the heap with osteoarthritis, mm-hmm. which is a little bit more age related. Yeah. and that's what people would conventionally think of as wear and tear although of course that's even more complex than that so it's not necessarily just wear and tear mm. even myself as a biology undergraduate in the fourth year of my degree before i got diagnosed yeah. i didn't see arthritis as a thing that a young person could get
2: mm. you know myself
1: mm-hmm. and, and i should have been all clued up in things because of what i was studying but i wasn't mm-hmm. i just thought yeah arthritis that's for that's for elderly people well, that's not for me mm-hmm. um So RA is actually joints and it means that they get really swollen and difficult to move, they can get stiff, it can cause um, problems with mobility. Mm. You need to get onto medication quickly really. That dampens down that immune response to your joints. Mm. But I guess one of the sort of disadvantages generally to taking these medications is that your immune response to loads of other things is also dampened. So you're more Mm. likely to get uh like the, the flu or covid uh, mm-hmm. which would <laughs> not sound fun um or just little just other little things because cuz you're trying to tone it down um mm. it's just a little bit difficult to get medicines that are really precise for those immune cells attacking those joints because the underlying mechanism why they do that isn't so clear mm. so it's a bit of a big sort of uh a, a, a large scale attack on this massive army Mm. so yeah so, so so I'm I'm taking some uh, medication that sort of like dampens the immune system in that general way and that has really helped sort of eased up the swelling and the, the joint pain um, helped somewhat with the fatigue which is also a, the side effect of sort of your body having this constant battle mm. um, so I got that in the fourth year of my undergraduate degree so because it's an autoimmune disease and it's to do with your immune system making the mistake it can happen at any age Loads of things are thought to sort of set it off, even small things like temperature changes, okay. so perhaps because I'd just come back from my year abroad in Australia, that could have been something that set it off. Oh wow. Um, could have been, but you know you never know like uh right. um there could be some genetic predisposition, but I don't really know anyone else in my family that has it, but a lot of my family's based in Jamaica, and it could be to do a thing with um it's a less severe case, maybe they wouldn't have been diagnosed even right. Um, So, yeah, so I got that in the fourth year of my undergraduate. I was doing Taekwondo training at the time, like quite heavily. Mm. So I spent maybe like six hours a week training and, um, you know, active London life. Well, pre-COVID, (laughs) pre-lockdown London life. Uh, You know, out and about, buses and tubes all the time, different people's houses all the time. Just loads of stuff going on, student life as well. So like in lecture theatres, pretty much 9 to 5 or or labs or um, the library and things like that. So... There were loads of reasons why I thought that my initial case of sort of shoulder impingement was understandable, because of course, maybe if somebody kicked me in my shoulder, then I could have a little bit of a tinge in it, fine. Mm. Um, But it was just a bit weird, because within a month of getting that little shoulder impingement, which was just a little bit of a niggle in my shoulder. Yeah. I got the exact same thing in my left shoulder. Then my right knee, my left knee, my right ankle, my left ankle. And I was like, why am I hopping? This is strange. Then I was like, okay, this is symmetrical. I'm a bit worried. And throughout the whole thing, I'd been speaking with my GP. Mm -hmm. And she sort of said, yeah, I've given you painkillers for your shoulder. But this is clearly something bigger and systemic. Mm -hmm. And this was the point at which I'd, you know, begun to Google. Where you Google your symptoms Uh and it tells you you're going to (laughs) die. Yes, exactly. But I pretty much landed on the whole. Okay, these are the symptoms of RA. Uh-huh. You get you get swollen joints, and and it was a bit tough. The same the same sort of thing with um, oh, race comes into everything. But a lot of the things like you know swollen joints that are red, it was hard to tell for me because mm-hmm. my my joints aren't going to get red. I'm 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 not black. I'm brown, but it's hard to see that. Yeah. Um. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure some of the symptoms I didn't understand if I did have them, but yeah, it became quickly apparent. It was quite an aggressive onset at first. Um it actually meant that I was I was I was bedbound for months because of this. It oh. took a really it took a really long well not really long time it took three, four months to get seen by a rheumatologist because oh the my waiting God. List was really quite long. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean you know NHS works as hard as they can, but if there are loads of people yeah. waiting to see a rheumatologist um, and they normally you know prioritize like the, the first cases mm. um, where you need to get that diagnosis in and get on medication so they do try to sort of diagnose within three months and put your medication within three months so I just I, I, I just missed that but I did get really good care mm. and yeah so I, I got on medication a while after but that was after quite a lot of you know sleepless nights i move i twist in bed my feet are on my pillow in the morning sideways or like i'm everywhere yeah so so if i'm moving so much i'm waking up you know because i'm feeling it so that was the annoyance as well like i couldn't sleep well when i did get up i was super stiff i was walking like a little old lady it was hard to sit down stand up lifting a jug or or a, a kettle to make tea was just like impossible Mm. Um. So it was so many adjustments, such a steep learning curve, and also realizing the time and the capacity I had to do things was a massive learning curve for me because it was like Simone, you have to prioritize things. Yeah, and I was like previously I was a hundred percent all the time. Mm-hmm. i was like well of course i'm part of taekwondo and the hip-hop society and this society and mm-hmm. of course i see this many groups of friends every day like <laughs> it and i see my sister and my grandma shouts at me for not seeing her often <laughs> like all of this is happening yeah and then it's suddenly like well realistically you have the capacity to have a conversation where you can focus for you know 15 minutes like once a week or something because yeah. my I'm I'm sleepy you know I'm tired mm. I can barely catch the conversation and keep it going because I'm just there like ah, my knee my knee okay oh. move, move the knee or I'm just tired you know I'm just looking at you like wait repeat that again so it went to a thing like okay well I need to do this degree so I'm just in bed and that meant that I coded more so I got better at coding because I had to Mm -hmm. Um, It was a practical thing. Like I couldn't get in the lab and get a better at labbing. So it was just the coding was the thing that worked. And luckily my project was coding. So I got to do my work. And Mm -hmm. that's that's literally all I focused on. I couldn't think about what was to come next. Um, Mm -hmm. I just tried to finish that project. I finished it and I was relieved. Um, Then I worried about what came next afterwards. But it was a really massively steep learning curve. And it was a, a big reframing of what I thought like I was and what I could do and what was important to me and what I wanted to spend time on hmm You
0: know. I'm wondering now if it affected your sort of coursework. You said you were in your fourth year. So at that point, were you just doing a research project?
1: hmm Yeah, so I was doing an undergraduate um, master's. So I was mainly just doing my project work, luckily.
0: I just wanted to double-check because, you know, in the US and in Canada, four-year degrees, you do courses all throughout. Mm. So I, I wanted to see what the, the differences were there. So I'm glad that it didn't affect oh, yeah. your... Like, your transcript or anything like that, you don't have to look back and be like, wow, my grades were really affected by this, right?
1: No, it's lucky. I mean, mean, they were, but I kind of had to make it work. Yeah. So I'm... Okay, how do I put it? I couldn't let my grades be affected. Okay. So... I knew things would take me longer, so I had to just make them take me longer to get the same quality of work. Right, okay. So that's part of the adjustment that you were kind of speaking of, right? Yeah, yeah. So it could have massively affected my grades or... I mean, the easiest way it could have affected my grades is that I could have dropped out, which I was so close to doing, Mm -hmm. because I didn't think I could do it and I didn't have... I didn't feel like I had the capacity to go to like two or three medical appointments a week Mm
2: -hmm.
1: when I felt like I could barely move as well as do work. Mm -hmm. So when you've got a chronic condition and you're in a flare like I was, it Mm. becomes a part-time job or a full-time job where you're like waiting in the hospital half the day for an x-ray.
2: Yeah.
1: Or you do, and then you have to walk down some stairs or get in a lift to get blood tests. And that takes you ages to walk because your mobility is affected. Yeah. Um, and then you do the blood test and then you've got to get on public transport, which is an absolute terror because mm. you're scared of the bus jolting or turning mm. and like falling off the chair and not being able to stand up because you can't take the weight of your body in your wrists, you know, mm. like it is a lot of time and effort to, to keep, maintain your care while you're in a flare. And that's not massively appreciated. Um, and I was going through this flair for the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to learn all of this like on the job. Like, okay, gosh, I need to go here. Okay, this is the quickest way to walk this way. This is This is the person to speak to at the blood test in order that they do not bend your elbow in a weird way and mess right. you up for the rest of the week. Like, it was a lot of learning and it took up a lot of time. Yeah. And if I spent, you know, six hours a day on my work, as I would have before maybe then I wouldn't have been able to get the grades I got because Mm. that wouldn't have been enough because that wouldn't have counted for all of the fatigue I would have felt in that six hour block Mm. and all of the medical stuff I would have had to do in that six hour block. So I had to adjust in order that I could still get that quality of work and pass. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it definitely affected the work, but not in terms of my grades went down in terms of I had to rejig my life kind of thing in order to, maintain my care and still get those grades Mm -hmm. which was just a whole nother world to me at that time how
0: did people treat you when they knew that you were dealing with RA
1: Mm. I think I was a little bit cautious about saying it at first because I was worried about how I'd be viewed I was it's such a sort of you know like an old lady's disease or something Mm, and I was like oh well it's a bit embarrassing I've got arthritis you know what Mm. is how am I gonna say that
2: to people yeah
1: um but I think because it affected me so visibly in terms of like you know I went from doing the most to not being able to go to certain things or Mm -hmm. not wanting to go to certain things so I wanted to conserve my energy to do something else
2: yeah
1: and so all of my close friends kind of knew because I had not had to tell them but the stuff we would do together changed. Yeah. Um, but it was it it was sort of affirming because all of my close friends that I told were really supportive and it, and it showed to me that I had put myself around really positive, caring people. Mm-hmm. I thought I was keeping it to myself or whatever, but it was only like, only took me like two or three months to be like, okay, this is breaking point. <laughs> like I've stopped going to Taekwondo. I, I, I can't train anymore. I'm, I've been in bed for a month or two now um, I've kind of gone AWOL or off of social media my friends are messaging me yeah. maybe I should say like it didn't take me that long to say to close people anyway Um, like that I would be in contact with and the response I mean I was worried yeah. but what's the word like an abstract sense Mm. so in the act of it I didn't feel like oh my god this could be make or break like (laughs) they're not my friend anymore (laughs) so luckily there wasn't I didn't actually feel in my heart on my chest okay this is going to be really awkward there's going to be really bad Mm. I just felt like okay I've got to tell I've got to tell my my friends bad news kind of thing people were generally like really supportive I had friends come around dropping me uh, like cheese and bread off Sh- sh- shout out Layla <laughs> um, and many other friends just coming by to say hey uh, because they knew I'd sort of dropped off and just wanted to see how I was and stuff so I think generally people were really supportive but I think that I was just sort of lucky to be around really nice people I don't think I'd necessarily lost contact or stopped speaking to anyone based on them feeling uncomfortable or us falling out because of anything like this Good. or it being awkward or like you know even when they didn't know what to say I was like look man I was just, <laughs> you don't have to say anything then it's fine <laughs> oh yeah and then we we moved on so yeah I was I was a little bit nervous and and, and that's the thing you know you've you got to sort of like tell people when you come to terms with things as well mm-hmm. and to be honest only, it took me like two years to come to terms with it honestly like truthfully to myself like to come to terms with okay I'm not I'm not mourning, I'm not in denial, I'm not angry. Because you go through this whole thing, because your whole world is... It feels like your world is taken from you, you know? You've got to adjust to this new normal. That's a phrase that, like, everyone, I guess, can appreciate now in in light of COVID-19, this new normal idea. Everybody with a chronic illness that has had it, not in childhood, not as a born condition, but Mm -hmm. during their life, acquired disease or acquired disability, understands that idea of new normal and what that means, and that massive adjustment, and that realisation of, okay, I need to prioritise what I really care about, and tell people, if you want to tell people, do I disclose, do I not disclose? Mm. Um, It's a lot to sort of come to terms with. So you go through this sort of thing of, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, final year of my undergrad, I'm young, like, I just want to get my degree and have fun with my friends and my family. Why do I have arthritis of all things? Like, what is this thing? Will it go? Why is it going to be with me for the rest of my life? Why do I have to worry about this thing for the rest of my life? You go through this, like, real denial. Like, this is ridiculous. How can this happen to me? Mm. So then, okay, this is the situation. Can I please not be in pain anymore? And mm. then you're worried. And then I was like, okay, I just need to get on this proper medication. And then I became the sort of fake doctor. So then I became, <laughs> the, <laughs> then I became the, okay, I'm going to get proper clued up. I'm going to have biology conversations with my rheumatologist, mm. you know? and properly understand why they've given me this medication yeah, um, and why that was the best for me and things like that and then it was the whole okay I'm somewhat coming into remission and that's the stage I'm at now okay I'm somewhat coming into remission what does that mean for the long term
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that was when I had finally reached a stage where it was sort of like I had accepted it to myself I was like and that's why I speak about it openly now Mm-hmm. because I'm like okay I've gone through the denial I've gone through the adjustment
2: mm-hmm.
1: of what is important I've gone through the whole everyone in my life basically knows <laughs> plus the general public uh <laughs> it, you know this is real this is real real and so now it's the okay this is it this is life what do I have to do now to be okay what do I need to put in place to be okay is this medication all right I need to you know it's it's, it's being able to speak to my my doctors and say, Look, I want to be on as little medication as possible but not flare because mm-hmm. I know that long term this stuff is going to damage my organs maybe like I right. I'm 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 trying to think forward now and be like what do I need for future me kind of thing mm-hmm. And are your doctors receptive to that 100% yeah So you know they've just been sort of frank in some terms and been like look if you if you lower this I think you will flare so I wouldn't recommend it mm-hmm. and just give me loads of different advice where I can sit back and they make very clear that it's my decision, and I sit back and, and I'm like, okay, I will try this or I won't try this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been maybe three years now. And it did take me more than two years. Recent thing, it did take me mm-hmm. you know over two years to be like, okay, you have RA, and then I think it, I think it's when you're able to start looking to the future and look forward and say, okay, this is the situation, but this is what I need to maintain myself and maintain my health and do other things on top of it. And so, yeah, that's very much been like a sort of new thing for me for the past year to be able to look forward and think, well, what is the medication that works for me? What is Mm -hmm. the lifestyle that works? What's the sleep that works for me? I should Mm -hmm. be drinking more water. Get me, get me that water bottle. Let me make sure my water bottles in in all the time. (laughs) Let me me make sure I actually take my meds in the morning and don't forget, let me set an alarm, like just properly, you know, looking after yourself, like, like, like a job is Mm. hard. It's so hard, but it—you know—it went from like a full-time job looking after my health to a part-time job. To now, it's a, you know, an hour a day, maybe, or thinking, oh, I should get more water. Oh, I should message this doctor and do this. Like, but it's it's work, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to treat it like work.
0: Mm-hmm. With the same care and the same responsibility, because you do owe it to yourself to look after yourself.
1: Yeah, and I think it's 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 interesting because if I treated. Looking after myself and my health and my mental health like a job, like I do now because I have RA.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, before I had RA, maybe do you know what I mean? Like, imagine the imagine the impact I could have had.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think treating it like a job and this sort of mentality has helped. Other areas like my mental health because it is like, no, well, you've got to do this. This is good for you. This isn't good for you. So it's been a it's been a way of thinking that has helped. Mm. And I think it's maybe more. Honest as well. Well, it's definitely made me more honest with yourself and with others. I think maybe with others by necessity. I guess more upfront. I think maybe I would beat around the bush and be sort of really British about things, like, oh, maybe you could do this. Mm. Whereas now it's like I need this environment. Mm. If that's not okay, then this can't work. I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) right? Like this is it? (laughs) Yeah. I've I've learned a lot, you know from this and I would be lying if I said that like the stuff I have learned hasn't been positive as well like hasn't been good for me as a person as well I think it's I think it's helped with knowing with being clear with what I want so I can tell other people do you know what I mean so I can't I can't lie to myself and be like oh well you know (laughs) you're fine with this situation because because some part of me is now like well you have to tell this person because your elbow will tell you if you don't No, it makes a lot of sense. And I like that you're also
0: sharing this discovery or these discoveries now with other people, because it would be, like you said, it's one thing for you to grow from it. And it's also another thing to say, I've made these same mistakes, Mm. or I was hard on myself unnecessarily, Mm. or I prioritized the outside working environment more than I prioritized my internal mental Mm. framework.
2: Mm.
0: And sometimes you just need to hear it. To know Mm. that it's okay to think about yourself as a priority. Mm. It's so sad that we automatically think, well, I'm doing this for someone else, so I'm going to put this at the top of my to-do list. And then Mm. if I happen to have some time later on in the day, I'll cater to me. Mm -hmm, When mm. really, how are you supposed to be a good friend, a good family member, a good employee when Mm. you can't even really be kind to yourself,
1: Mm you know? 100%.
0: So the last thing that I wanted to talk about today, just so that we can wrap up, is this idea of intersectionality and what Mm -hmm. you would share with someone else. It's a great lead-in from our previous conversation. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give someone who's kind of in a similar position, maybe a person of color or more specifically a Black woman with a chronic illness that at times can be invisible? Because I'm sure when you show up on Zoom, no one can see your joints. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No one can or maybe they can, I don't know. No one can really read your Mm. face and know what kind of night sleep you had or lack Mm -hmm. thereof. Mm. So what would you say would be the the thing you've taken away from this entire experience or like a one sentence, Mm -hmm. pass along this like nugget of goodness?
1: Mm. I think I would say fight against wanting to be or being asked to be the strong black woman. Mm you know yeah like really fight against that and find help if you need it mm-hmm. because i think it's presented to us as a strength that you can deal with certain things mm-hmm. without complaining or talking about it but especially with an invisible illness mm-hmm. it can it can really take its toll so i would really advise anybody in the similar situation to to not feel like they have to be the strong back, black women at least with people that care about them um mm-hmm. and if they feel safe and comfortable you know to be honest and to say how they're doing of course with their health care providers like 100 but if mm-hmm. they feel safe and comfortable with their their loved ones definitely tr- attempting to bridge that gap and let people know what the reality is I found that to be a positive experience but I know that it might not always be that you're speaking to people that will be receptive to it. Mm. So it might not be the safest thing. Or And, and it can also be massively uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might not want to define yourself by that kind of thing and it might affect you differently as well. But I think letting people know how things affect you helps you both to bend your day to that, you know? Mm. Um, so I have found that really helpful because otherwise I think, you know, the days wouldn't have bended in that way. Mm-hmm. And I would have struggled, you know, you know, like going on holidays with my friends. Yeah. If we'd planned to do like that 10K walk we would have done, mm-hmm. <laughs> it could have been tough if I was in a flare. Um, yeah. But saying how I was doing helped with that. Yeah. Um. And and the final bit would be definitely to know that you're not alone. Yeah. One of the first things that I did when they diagnosed me was just sort of sit in bed as oh, yeah, of course I was in bed. <laughs> but I mean, like I went on YouTube. Okay. Of course I was on YouTube. Um. <laughs> I I was looking for people sharing their experiences of RA mm. um, and I stumbled upon a black woman uh, called Yolanda that was sharing her, fr- from South London, from mm. a Caribbean background, that was sharing her experiences of RA and she was yeah. like in her 20s, maybe early 30s and my, my jaw dropped <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what?! you you have how could you have Ari? you look so young and beautiful and fresh what Mm. and i was then challenging myself like wait what this is okay okay so you know going through all of her videos on repeat trying to understand her experiences and what she went through and and how she dealt with diagnosis how she got onto the medication that worked for her i then saw her even do an injection And that was the first example and actually the most valuable bit of information about that injection that I got from anybody in the lead up to actually being prescribed that six months later.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Like I saw her do it. She explained at the beginning to end and I was like, wow, okay, so maybe doing an injection for yourself isn't the scariest thing in the world. Mm. Six months later, the the rheumatologist says to me, yeah, you're going to have to take this. Are you comfortable? I was like, yes. Mm. (laughs) Yolanda did it so yeah sounds good sounds sounds all right worked for her I have hope (laughs) it's not just a medication that was only trialed on white people and do you know what I mean like yes I I then thought okay maybe I have a bit of hope here so I think knowing that you're not alone and finding resources or groups or people that remind you that you're not alone is really important it could be people obviously that have the same condition as you or maybe just people from your background that can maybe understand different elements of it or how that is received it, it it just helps to to not feel like you're the only one